Well, I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles once again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And last week, as we was taking a look at this text of Scripture, and we're going to take a look at this text of Scripture one more time uh, next week. There's just so much uh, information within uh, this text of Scripture. We could actually spend weeks looking at it. Uh, we're not going to do that, but uh, we will um, continue to examine it at least for uh, one more Sunday. And so as we take a look at this, we were reminded last week uh, that, that, you know, I looked at the biblical evidence within 1 Thessalonians and also in 2 Thessalonians that when the Apostle Paul came to uh, start the church that first time, when he, when he came there and he was there with them for that few weeks, he spent a lot of time with them uh, telling them about the gospel, preaching to them the gospel, proclaiming the truths of the gospel, but he also talked about uh, obviously, clearly, in time events. He talked to them uh, about the resurrection, apparently. He talked to them about the rapture. He talked to them about the tribulation times. He talked to them about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He talked to them about the day of the Lord. And all of those things that we find clearly here within this text of Scripture, that, that those are things that the Apostle Paul has already talked to them about. But we're also reminded that uh, the Apostle Paul sent Timothy. He couldn't go back to Thessalonica, but he sent Timothy back to the church of Thessalonica, and, he, and uh, he, he went there to minister to them. But as Timothy came back to Paul, they had some very clear questions that they wanted to ask of Paul, some things that they were concerned about, some very serious issues that they were seriously concerned about. And so one of those issues is, uh, that they had to ask, that they wanted to ask, is, well, what about our, what about our loved ones that have already passed on? Now, something I want to I make kind of a profound statement, you're going to understand it at the end of this message that every single Christian past present and future every single Christian is going to see the rapture amen now you say well that's kind of a profound statement how can those who have already passed on uh, see the rapture we're going to see that in just a minute but every single Christian is going to see the rapture take place doesn't matter uh, if they died 2,000 years ago it doesn't matter if they died 100 years ago it doesn't matter if they died Five minutes before the rapture takes place, friends, every single Christian is going to see the rapture. Of course, those who are alive when Jesus returns are going to see the rapture. They're going to experience it. They're going to be caught up in it. But that was a concern that they had. Well, what about our loved ones? What about those who have already passed on? What's going to happen to them? Uh, and, and so as they had this concern, we have this text of Scripture that is here for this very reason. And so Apostle Paul wrote in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 he says but we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep that you aggrieve as those who do uh, as do the rest who have no hope so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope and so he, he made it very clear so this is what i'm about to talk to you about for this very specific purpose i don't want you to be unaware well what what does it he want them to be unaware about he doesn't want them to be unaware doesn't want them to be ignorant about uh, those who are asleep in other words those who have died, those who have passed on already. And so when we look at this, he begins to unfold that answer. He begins to uh, give them the answers. And so you know, some of the questions that they might have had is, uh, would they receive resurrected bodies uh, in the rapture? 
You know, we know the rapture is going to take place. We know that's going to happen. That's for those who are alive and remain. But what, what about those who have passed on? Are they going to then receive resurrected uh, bodies? When, is that, when, when will they receive resurrected bodies? Is it going to happen during the rapture? Is it going to happen during the time of the tribulation? Is it going to happen uh, in, uh, you know, at the end of the tribulation? You know, is it going to happen at the end of the millennium? When, are, when is this going to take place? And so that might have been a question uh, that they had and the concern that they uh, very well could have had is did they just miss out altogether, right? Did they just completely miss out all the way around on the return of Christ and that there is now no hope for them? And, and so we look at this, all of these questions, and we want to understand that the answers to every single one of these things are right here within the text of Scripture. And so, you know, these, these could have been the questions that they have because these are the answers that we have right here within the Word of God. Now, we don't know exactly what they asked Timothy because we don't have the record of Timothy and the, the, exactly what he told the Apostle Paul that he was going to address him. But these are the things, the very things that he addressed right here. And he says he doesn't want them to be ignorant about these things. He doesn't want them to be uninformed about these things and praise God for the Word of God. And you know, <clears throat> when we begin to think about this, I have people ask, uh, ask me questions all the time. You know, you know what, what about this and what about that? And there's nothing wrong with that. And I have questions too, right? So I'm not putting down anybody that has any questions. But friends, we find the answers in the Word of God. Amen? We find the answers in the Word of God. And then not only do we find answers within the Word of God, we also discover the realities of things that we might believe and that, that aren't true, right? How many of you ever heard before, well, they received their angels' wings? It's not biblical. Amen? You, you don't find that anywhere within the Word of God. And so not only does it counteract things that aren't biblical, when we study the Word of God and begin to understand the truths of the Word of God, we begin to recognize, you know, the things that are biblical. Not only the things that aren't biblical, but the things that are biblical. Now he says, brethren, we do, we, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now that's interesting that he uses the word asleep right here. He doesn't use the word dead. He doesn't say that they've died. Now in other places in scriptures, in fact, right here in this text of scripture, the dead in Christ shall rise first. The, the Bible does use the word uh, dead, but when we look in the word of God, we actually find that dead, uh, 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 rather uh, asleep rather than dead, is actually used quite a few times when it's referring to those who have passed on before the resurrection. And so as we look at that, there's a very common phrase used within the Word of God. In fact, just in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a, a scripture that talks about the resurrection. So just in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, it says after he, that he appeared uh, to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Verse 18, we find right here that those who uh, also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now, we, we find some joyful things right here. If you go back up to verse 16, he says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ have been raised. But if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Uh, to those who also have fallen asleep in Christ, 
have perished. And so those who have fallen asleep in Christ, if Jesus himself didn't actually rise from the dead, then they've also perished. They have no hope, but what but the fact is they do have hope. Their hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, we find right, right here, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are asleep. Verse 51. We find right here in the Word of God, beloved, uh, or, I'm sorry, behold, I tell you a mystery, you will not all sleep, but will all be changed. So that's a very common word used for those who have passed on, Christians who have passed on. Now, it's an unusual word in the world. You know, as we look at ancient literature, you don't ever hear of anybody in the world in ancient literature talking about the deceased as being asleep. But here in the Word of God, <coughs> excuse me, here in the Word of God, we find it as being a very common phrase, very commonly used. And so the question is, well, why is the Bible using this phrase sleep? Now, there's a doctrine out there, it's a false doctrine, it's called soul sleep. And in this false doctrine uh, of soul sleep, what they teach is that when somebody dies, that their soul actually goes to sleep. And it doesn't come alive, it doesn't wake up again, rather, until Jesus returns and calls them home. And so there they are, they're resting in the grave in that soul sleep. But I want you to understand that's not biblical. What do we find as biblical? We find that our bodies obviously go in the grave, right? We also we find that within the Word of God, our bodies go in the grave. But then what does the Bible say? First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so therefore when our soul and our spirit is released from this body and this body goes into the tomb, this body goes in the grave, what happens is that our soul goes to be with the Lord. And so when we recognize and understand the very fact that, that, that those who are in Christ, though their bodies may be put in the tomb if they die prior to that time of resurrection, their bodies will go into the tomb, whatever might happen to their body. It, it doesn't even matter what happens to their body. Their soul, their spirit is going to go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. People often ask me, it's a very common thing today, very, very common thing for people to be cremated rather than to be buried. And people come to me all the time asking me, Brother Russell, what do you think about that? Is that right? Is there anything wrong with cremation? Well, the Bible says ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Amen. The Bible says from the dust of this earth that we came to the dust of this earth, we're going to return. And I also think about, you know, what about the victims of 9-11 that was within those twin towers? What about them? You know, is God going to hold that against them that that, that, that there it was, that they were burned in the ashes of that building? Absolutely not, because that body is absolutely nothing. <coughs> Excuse me. And when we are uh, in the resurrection, guess what? We're going to be given brand new bodies. Amen? Brand new bodies. Not a, you know, a, a fresh coat of paint on what was old. No, we're going to be given a brand new resurrected and glorified body. Also, when we continue to look at that, continue to look at this within the text of Scripture, we understand a few things. We understand that, you know, Moses and Elijah, you know what happened to them in the Old Testament? Now, 
know, some say, well, Elijah, may, he, he might not have died. He got caught up in the whirlwind. But, but you know, when we look at this, begin to say, well, they died, right? They died. Both of them died. But then we find in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus is up on the mountain, there's this glorious thing that takes place. There's this mount of transfiguration right there that Moses and Elijah are walking around and they're having a conversation with Jesus and three of the disciples are honored and privileged to be able to see that, to be able to witness that. You know, what a phenomenal thing that that is, that there they are walking around with the Lord Jesus Christ. We also see in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man, he gets cast down into the pits of, uh, of Hades. And so as he's cast down into the pits of Hades, he's down there in torment. Guess what? He is alive in that Torment, he is alive, he is awaiting that final time of judgment, that final time of judgment that's going to await him and come on the day of the great white throne judgment where his judgment is going to come and that judgment is as names not found written in the Lamb's book of life. Therefore, he's going to be cast into the fiery pits of hell and he's going to be there forever and ever and ever. And just as he's still there to this very day in that place of judgment, in that place of Hades, being tormented, he was alive. You know what the lake of fire is going to be? The Bible calls it the second death. It's the second death. But there they are. They're going to be very much alive as well. But they're dead because they're separated from God forever, separated from God. And so we look at that, and there he is. There's the rich man in hell, but what is he doing? He gets a view into heaven, and as he gets this view into heaven, what does he see? He sees Lazarus that is resting his head on the bosom of Abraham. Oh, what a glorious picture. Lazarus, who never had anything on this earth, anything whatsoever, he just wanted to eat from the crumbs of the table. He was a beggar, he was a poor man all of his life, and now as the rich man is seeing him, he is there laying his head, resting his head on the bosom of Abraham. He's also alive, amen? Not only is he alive, he's alive in paradise. We also see Stephen who is put to death. Stephen who stoned to death. And as Stephen is stoned to death, what does Stephen see? Right before he dies, he sees a glorious thing. Right before he breathes his last, he looks up into heaven. And as he looks up into heaven, what does he see? He sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God and he just blurts it out. Amen. He's being stoned to death. He's being beaten to death in that very point. And he proclaims, behold, I see the Son of, of, of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, the amazing thing is that Jesus himself told us, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, what am I going to do? He said, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He was saying, Stephen, it's time for you to come home, son. Amen. I'm here to bring you home. I'm here to bring you home into the Father's house. And there you're going to be for all eternity. See, we see these things. Time after time after time, we see the thief on the cross that was about to die that very day that was hanging beside Jesus. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Not when your soul wakes up one day. Not, it's not going to just seem like uh, today. It's going to be today. That's the very word that Jesus used. Today you will be with me in paradise. But you know, one of the most vivid pictures that we find in the Word of God is in Revelation chapter 6. 
Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, very, very vivid picture of those who have died and those who are with Jesus. Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, it says, And when the Lamb broke forth the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony that they had maintained. And so, so who's there under the throne of God? Now, now understand, this isn't a menial thing that they're under the throne of God. The throne of God is exalted. Amen? It's exalted. So it's actually a place of worship that, they are, that, that they're at. Therefore, the throne of God, under the throne of God, a place of worship. And what do they do in verse 10? It says, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our, our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So there they are. These are the all, all that have been slain, all of those who have been martyred, all of those that have lost their life because of the word of God, because of the testimony that they maintain, that testimony of Jesus Christ. All of those have been slain. There they are beneath the throne of God, and they're crying out to Jesus, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from avenging our blood? In verse 11 it says, It was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed. Does that look like soul sleep to you? That doesn't look like soul sleep to me. They were very alive. They are very alive. And they're there in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. They're under His throne. They're worshiping Him. They're having a conversation. With Jesus. How awesome is that? How amazing is that? When we begin to think about that. That's not soul sleep. That's not anything remotely close to soul sleep. And that's not symbolism. There's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. But that's not symbolism. That's reality. Amen. And so as we see that reality. <coughs> and we begin to <coughs> understand that reality. We begin to recognize the truth. That those who are separated from the body, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's who have believed on Jesus Christ. Let's look back at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse uh, 13, the Apostle Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. He says, I don't want you to grieve, but not just that he doesn't want you to grieve, but he doesn't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. Now, a couple of questions that we have right here is, first of all, does it mean that Christians aren't supposed to grieve at the death of another Christian? Is that what he's saying right here? He's saying, no, I don't want, it's not that he doesn't want you to grieve. He doesn't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Amen? 
Every Christian is going to grieve at the death of another Christian. Every Christian is going to grieve at the death, especially of a of loved one, someone that was close to them, someone that they know, that they know, that they know, were saved, they were born again, they were heaven bound, but yet they have passed on and they've gone on uh, uh, away from us. You know, even Jesus, the word of God says, even Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And Jesus knew full well that Lazarus was about to come out of that grave. Another interesting text of Scripture that the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Philippians. He, he writes this about uh, a friend of his called Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, apparently a messenger that would often go to the uh, church there in Philippi. So they also knew him well. Apparently, Apostle Paul uh, really loved Epaphroditus, and he writes this in Philippians chapter 2, and verse 27. He says, For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but, if God had, uh, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrows upon sorrows. So in other words, he was saying, you know, he's giving God praise. He praised God that God uh, brought Epaphroditus back to, uh, back to health, back to good health, and he, and he restored him. He was at the point of death, is what Paul was saying. And uh, apparently they all expected him to die, but God brought him back to good health. And so he's giving God praise for the fact that he brought him back to good health. He said, so God had mercy on him. But God didn't just have mercy on him. He had mercy on me and mercy on all of us because had Epaphroditus died, he said, I would have had sorrows of sorrows. I'd have been greatly heartbroken, in other words. I'd have been greatly grieved. There's nothing wrong with grieving at, at the death of a loved one, even those who we know that we know that we know that, that are saved and we know that they're in glory right now, we know where they are and we can rejoice in that, we can find peace in that, we find comfort in that. In fact, that's what this text of Scripture is for, is giving us that comfort, giving us that peace. The saints, you have sorrows of sorrows because of the death of a loved one. It's not a lack of faith. Amen. Not at all a lack of faith. Just the fact that you're a human being. <laughs> Amen? You're human. And God's given you those human emotions where even Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. You know, as we continue to look, we continue to see here within this text of Scripture, He said not only that He didn't want them to grieve, but He didn't want them to grieve as those who have no hope. So we don't need to have a hopeless grief. We don't need to grieve as those who have no hope. Now, what does it mean not to have hope? What does it mean? that, that, that Who's he talking about? Who are those folks over there that he's talking about that have no hope? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 tells us this. He says that remember that when, uh, remember you were separated in, in times of, uh, 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 Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. I'll learn how to read, read in a minute. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, so who is this that have no hope? The one that has no hope is the one who's separated from Christ. 
The one who has no hope is the one who is excluded from the commonwealth of Israel because he is separated from Christ. The one who has no hope is a stranger to the covenants of promise because he's separated from Christ and he is without God in this world. Now the good news is that those who are separated from Christ today You're still living, you're still breathing, there's still breath in your lungs, the blood is still flowing from your body. The good news today for you is that today is the day of salvation. Amen? You can come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. You can repent from your sins and you can turn to Jesus and you can believe on Him that His death and that His burial and His resurrection is sufficient to save you from your sins. And that's all you have to do is believe on Him. Trust in Him. Call upon His name. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Invite Him into your life to be your Lord and to be your Savior. Do it in faith. And friends, He will save you. And He will be your hope. Friends, when we get to this point of death, there is no hope. All hope is gone. Consequences of our decisions or our lack of decisions upon this earth come home to roost. No more opportunity, there's no more chance. Purgatory is not found anywhere in the Bible that can't work their way out of hell. That's nowhere biblical, anywhere. It's either heaven or hell. It's because you, either because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ or because you have not. Placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And so when we begin to take a look at that, we begin to understand what is our hope. Verse 14 tells us our hope. For if we believe, stop right there, if we believe, we believe, we believe on Jesus. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. God will, He said. He's going to bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. If we believe, if they have believed, if we believe that Jesus died and that He rose again, and that when He comes again, He's going to bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus. What is He talking about right there? He's talking about the dead. He's talking about the burial. He's talking about the resurrection, friend. That is the gospel. Amen? That is the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. 100%. That is our hope. Verse 14 right here, belief in Jesus is our hope and He will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Starting in verse 16, we find not only our hope, but we find our assurance. It says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so also we shall always be with 
the Lord. That's our assurance. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is our assurance. Our absolute assurance that God is going to do what God said He's going to do. Amen? God's always going to do what He said He's going to do. Even the most well-intended, honest human being isn't always able to do what they said they're going to do. Some going to meet you at a certain time and place. Well, my tire might go flat. I don't know. My car might break, break down. I don't know. It, my health might fail me. I don't know. Right? thousand and one things can happen. And I'm a human being. I have absolutely no control over whatsoever. I, I was well intended. But it didn't happen. For whatever reason. Didn't lie about it. Wasn't being deceptive about it. Now some folks will. Some, you know, some folks say, I'll meet you at a certain time and place. I can call some folks by name, not here, but some folks by name and other, other places. I will meet you at such and such place at such and such time. And I know as soon as it's coming out of their mouth, they're, they're not going to be there. <laughs> Amen. But then you know there, there's others that are people of their word. They're going to do what they say. They mean what they say. They're honest people, people with great integrity. But even they can be tripped up from time to time. But God is almighty, God is all-knowing, God knows the beginning from the end, and if God says that He's going to do something, nothing is going to catch Him off guard to trip Him up to where it won't be done. So what's going to happen? The dead in Christ are going to rise first. What is that? That's the resurrection. When's that resurrection going to take place? That resurrection is going to take place right before the rapture. As I said last week, I firmly believe the rapture is going to take place right before the tribulation. Another reason why I'm a pre-trib, uh, uh, believe in a pre-trib rapture, that the rapture is going to take place at the beginning of the tribulation, because that's when the resurrection is going to take place. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up to meet the Lord, caught up in the cloud, to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. That's why I say that every single Christian is going to see the rapture. Every single Christian that ever has lived, that ever will live, is going to see the rapture. Those who are alive and remain are going to be uh, the ones who are raptured, they're going to be the ones who are called up. But every single Christian, friends, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then right after them, here comes those who are alive and remain. That's going to happen so fast that no human eye is ever going to be able to see it. No instrument of scientific sophistication will ever be able to measure it. But friends, they're going to see it. And they're going to know it. And now all of a sudden, 
going to be met up in the clouds of glory, meeting Jesus in the clouds of glory, and every single redeemed human being that ever has been born again or ever will be born again is going to have that glorious meeting time in the clouds of glory, and there we're going to meet Jesus within the clouds of glory, every single redeemed human being. Could you imagine what kind of reunion that's going to be? And then all of a sudden, Jesus is going to take them to the Father's house. And as Jesus takes them to the Father's house, as we see in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, Jesus is going to say, I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. In other words, when He takes all of the redeemed from all of the history of the ages and we meet Him in the clouds of glory, then we go to the Father's house. And as we go to the Father's house, Jesus is going to say, Father, angels, these are mine. These are mine. Now those who have passed on before, their spirit has been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus this whole time. They're with Jesus right now. When that time of resurrection comes, there will be a, re- a uniting of the body and the soul and the spirit, and that will be a brand new glorified body they'll be resurrected to meet Jesus in the cloud and then go to the Father's house to be with the Lord how long? forever forever friends just as real as heaven is hell is just as real Those who die without Christ. Realities of hell will be just as real. Those who are in Christ are going to be in perfect paradise, perfect peace. Never no pain, never no suffering. Never even shed a tear. Isn't that an amazing thing? They're going to be with Jesus. In absolute perfection. I joked earlier about going to an expensive resort, but we could spend a whole lot of money going to some resort somewhere, and we call it paradise. Not even a drop in the bucket, man. We can't even comprehend, I don't believe, how glorious paradise will actually be. But the question is, are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? Now Paul ends this text of Scripture who says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. What the purpose of this Scripture is, is to comfort one another with our loved ones that have gone on before us, that we know where they are and we know what's going to happen to them in the future. Amen? Can your loved ones be comforted with the knowledge You know that you know that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. We get our musicians to come forward. As a pastor, I've preached a lot of funerals over the years. One year I preached 53 funerals in one year. It was a tough year. 
back to back. A lot of those I knew that they were saved, they were born again, they were heaven bound. Some I wasn't all that sure about, didn't really know. Some I knew by the testimony of their own mouths that they were in hell. And they're never getting out. That's a heartbreaking thing. Some of them are, are my family members that I love dearly. But as you stand this morning, there's only one way that you could know, friend, you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn to Jesus, believe on Jesus for salvation. You need to ask Jesus in faith to forgive you of your sins. And all, friend, he will. Doesn't matter how deep those sins are, the most vile person that's ever walked the face of this earth. But listen, those sins are not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. I can promise you that they'll be wiped out. The moment you ask him to, the moment you put your faith in him. Do you know that you know that you know today? You're going to be there in that number. The clouds of glory. You're going to hear the confession of Jesus to the Father and His angels. These are mine. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do you? If not today, would you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord? And as your Savior, right now, this very moment, you come as God so leads.